5, please. Romans chapter 5. I want to direct your attention this morning to particularly verse 12. Uh, We've sort of been working our way through chapter 5, mainly starting in verse 8 and talking about the love of God towards us. We did reference verses 1 through 7 as well, certainly, um, in this chapter, talking about mankind's love, how man would sometimes die for others, but it's typically those that they love contrasted with God's love, even when we were enemies of God, he died for us to reconcile us to himself. And and then we talked about um, the blessings that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, in our salvation, the blessings of righteousness and so on. That's where we've been. And verse 12 of Romans 5 is sort of a segue Verse because Paul's going to transition a, a little bit, and especially once he gets into chapter 6, he's going to start talking about sanctification and so on. But verse 12 starts with the word wherefore, and whenever you see a wherefore, you always have to go back and find out what it's there for. And so it becomes this segue verse from what he's talked about in verses 1 through 11 to what he's going to be talking about. But verse 12 is is a powerful verse because it really does demonstrate and describe for us why mankind is the way that he is, why this world is the way that it is. Let's go ahead and read this verse. The Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And we could continue reading down through the end of this chapter. And what Paul is going to do is he's going to contrast the first man, Adam, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's basically going to place all of mankind, Adam as a mankind's figurehead and Jesus Christ as a figurehead. And he's going to place all of mankind into one of two families, all in Adam or all in Christ. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. There's, there's, that's the idea of what Paul is going to talk about in the rest of this chapter. But Paul has spent a considerable amount of time already through the book of Romans proving that mankind is sinful. Every segment of mankind is guilty in the eyes of God. And I don't think that there's anybody who really can, at the end of the day, can honestly refute that. Just look at the world around you. Just look at where our culture is. Just look at other cultures. Just look how how things are going and have gone. You can't really refute the fact that mankind is inherently wicked and evil. I think if you doubt that, but if you're honest, you can just pretty much go to any spot on the globe. You can pretty much open up your web browser and look at any news 
article of the day or any news broadcast anywhere, and that truth could be clearly made plain that mankind is sinful. Mankind is wicked. And in this verse and the verses following, Paul is telling how man came to be the way that he is. And if we were just to be honest with each other for a little bit, I think all of us in our own life could reckon, recognize and see that we ourselves are inherently wicked. We all have thoughts and we all have desires and we all have things that, that come into our life that, that even at times might shock us. Like, where in the world did that come from? Well, it becomes pretty clear that's from our wicked sin nature. And we are what we are because of our nature. And Paul has already stated that mankind is evil to the core and that there's no good in him at all. In Romans chapter 3, in verse 10, he says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And he describes the wickedness that is inside of us in the next few verses, and he ends that there is no fear of God before their eyes. And so Paul has done a lot of work here to show and to prove that mankind is sinful and that mankind is inherently wicked in and of ourselves. And when we come to verse 12 of chapter 5, he's stating the same thing again, but, in, but, in, but he's showing us the, the reason, the origin of why we are the way that we are. And again, he's going to make an identification. Either you are in Adam or with Adam, or you are in or with Christ. And that is the key to understanding the, the next several verses that Paul gives. So let's read a few more. Let's look in verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by, by one that sinned, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one... Uh, to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So you see this contrast that Paul is making, and he's placing all of mankind in one of two categories. Either you're in Adam or you're in Jesus Christ, and that is the key to understanding this passage of scripture and what he's showing and what he's saying is either you're under condemnation because you're in Adam or you're justified because you're in Jesus Christ. And God's gift of righteousness that Paul talks about here 
is far greater than the devastation of sin that resulted from Adam's disobedience. And so I want us to talk about this thought or these thoughts this morning and encourage you and also challenge you with the truth. And the idea or the thesis here is this. The whole story of the human race can be summed up in terms of what has happened because of Adam and what has happened and yet will happen because of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to speak to you this morning on this thought, death in Adam or life in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us today with this passage. And sometimes the wording can be confusing, but as we explain it, I pray that the thoughts that Paul is conveying here would ring loud and true in the ears and the hearts and the minds of each person. And Lord, that there would be some personal consideration this morning of my own standing before God. Where do I fall? Death in Adam or life in Christ? And I pray, Lord, that you'd use your word and that you'd give grace and liberty through your spirit to preach it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First thought that I want to bring out here uh, in our text verse, in verse 12, is the roots of sin. The roots of sin. In verse 12, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. In other words, what Paul is saying is that sin entered the human family by the actions of the first man. The first man was Adam. Adam had been created in the very image of God. Adam had been placed in a perfect environment in which no sin existed. Adam had a perfect companion in Eve that God made for him. Adam was the master of a perfect world. There was no degradation. There was no decline. There was no, uh, there was, uh, there was no ugly. God made the world. God looked at what he had made. He saw that it was good, the Bible says. God made Adam. He put the, him in this perfect environment. He gave him a perfect companion. He was the master of this perfect world. There was only one restriction on Adam after God created him. Adam was not to eat of the fruit of one tree in the garden. That was the only restriction that God gave to Adam. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. Keep your place here. And look in Genesis chapter 2. In verse 15, Genesis 2, verse 15, the Bible says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So God gave open uh, you know, license to Adam to dress it, to name the animals, to keep it, to tend it, to live in this perfect environment. And the only thing he was not allowed to do was to eat of the one, the fruit of the one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, the penalty for breaking my law, the penalty for, for disobeying my command, the penalty of eating of that tree is death. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. 
Now, you would think that Adam would be content in this perfect paradise. Was it not a perfect paradise? God made it, created it, it was good. You would think that Adam would be content in this perfect paradise, but the Bible tells us that Adam broke the one law that had been given him by God. You got one job, Adam. Don't disobey this law. Look at chapter 3, Genesis 3. The Bible says in verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You would think that Adam would be content to live out the life God gave him in this perfect paradise. And yet he broke the one law that God had given him. Now let me make this application because we can look back at that and we can say, what is wrong with you, Adam? You got it made. Don't you get this? How in the world could you be so foolish and be so stupid? But you know what? Had we been standing there that day watching Adam and Eve take of that fruit that they were not allowed to, you know what? Uh, we probably would have been in the exact same position as Adam. But you know when that happened? If we were standing there watching even, and we weren't in that situation, but we were just watching, we wouldn't have heard some mass explosion. There wouldn't have been bells and whistles that were going off and warnings. We wouldn't have seen any of that. But in that moment and in that instant, in that time, in, 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 uh, in that instance of time, that was the moment that humanity died. The fallout from the moment of disobedience has been catastrophic for the entire human family ever since. Sin entered into the world, Paul says, wherefore is by one man, Sin entered into the world. It wasn't here before, but sin entered into the world. And death came about because one man sinned. The moment that Adam sinned, it affected the whole world. And Paul says, death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Adam's sin has been termed by theologians as the fall. But Adam's fall didn't affect just Adam. 
It affected all of mankind. Go back to our text because I want you to note some wording here. Note this wording that sin entered into the world. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. There's no way to explain the world as we know it apart from this statement right here. How do you explain the world as we know it? There's only one way to explain things like murder. There's only one way to explain things like abortion. I was just watching this clip yesterday, and I think it was like on Instagram or something, and it was, it was this reel, and it was, it was a podcast that was going on, and, but, it, but it was recording or videoing that podcast. And it was these guys that were sitting around talking about uh, abortion, and they're talking about, uh, you know, just logically, and there's this one guy who was pro-abortion, and there was these two guys who were the, the podcast hosts who were anti-abortion and pro-life, okay? And, and they're just trying to reason with this guy. And the, the caption on the reel was, he was almost there. That's what it was. And this thought process that was going back and forth, the guy asked this question, the pro-life guy asked this question. So do you believe that the moment that a baby comes out of the birth canal and breathes their first breath of air, that they are a human being and they are entitled to the rights and the privileges of being a human being? He said, yes, absolutely. So then he says, okay, but you don't believe then that before that moment when the baby or the child is still in the mother's womb, before it's come out into the world, that it's not a human? That it doesn't have those? He says, well, no, but what I do believe is that the mother still has the right to control or say what goes on with her body. So then they start to talk a little bit more, and this other guy pipes up, and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. So the mother has the right to do whatever she wants with her body. She's like, yeah. Okay, well, what about taking meth while she's pregnant? And the guy stops, and he kind of looks, and he thinks, he's like, well, yeah, I guess she's allowed to take meth. But he's like, but, but, and he's, he paused. And the guy was like, keep going, keep going. Is it okay for her to take meth while she's pregnant? He's like, well, no, not exactly. And he's like, why not? It's her body, he said, because she's intentionally trying to kill a child. And the guy's like, did you hear what you just said? You understand what I'm saying? He's like, you, you almost got it. You almost grasped this truth. And my point is this. How do you explain the insanity? How do you explain things like that? Apart from this verse that sin entered into the world, how do you explain the absolute rage that causes, you know, when somebody drives in front of you on the road and the rage that comes inside that causes one to pull out a gun and shoot them? It happens. How do you explain that? How do you explain the hatred of racism? How do you explain all the other kinds of wickedness that we could just imagine today? The point is, is that sin entered into the world that day, and the moment that Adam sinned, it affected the entire human race. 
by one man, the Bible says, sin entered into the world. There's all kinds of things that we can see around us that are completely unexplainable, except for this right here. And how is it that people say, oh, mankind is good? Mankind is inherently good. Where? Where? There's only one explanation. By one man, sin entered into the world, and all sin and the results of sin can be traced back to this very moment in time when Adam disobeyed the one law that God gave. It can all be traced back to the first man and his sin against God. That is the root of sin. But secondly, I want you to note the reality of sin. Because we can look at Adam and we can say, man, that was, that was rough, Adam. And we can detach ourselves from it because it wasn't me. But look at this verse. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Here we find the reality of sin. We move away from talking about what Adam did and his fault those thousands and thousands of years ago, and we move into the reality of your life and mine right now. Notice the phrase, all have sinned. How could anything be more clear and more plain than that? All. All have sinned. And notice that it's past tense. Basically what Paul is telling us is that when Adam sinned, you sinned. When Adam disobeyed, you disobeyed. When Adam fell, you fell. And to understand this, we need to understand that the Bible says that Adam is the first man. And what it's saying is that Adam is a figurehead that represents all of mankind. We all trace our lineage back to Adam. In fact, Adam was, you could say, the father figure of all mankind. What happened to Adam happened to all of us. When Adam fell, he passed his sinful condition down to every human that's ever been born. His sin tainted the bloodstream of humanity, if you will. Every human being born into this world is born carrying the same sinful blood as Adam. Because of this, we are all born naturally sinners. We're born with this natural drive toward evil. You say, well, how do you know that? Like, how do you explain it's a natural drive toward evil? I think it's pretty simple. When you just look at a small child, small children, children, they have to be taught everything, right? They have to be taught everything. They're born into this world. They don't know anything. And as they grow, they learn. And they have to be taught everything. But you know what you don't have to teach a child? How to do wrong. You don't have to teach a child how to be evil. They're born with a bent toward sin. The Bible says that they come forth from the womb 
speaking lies. And you know what? That, that may sound hard, but it's actually true. You know what? You just observe two little kids together and one toy, and you can see the sin nature coming right out that did not need to be taught. And you know what? You look at that and you see these two kids who are innocent kids and there's the one toy and one of them's got it and the other one wants it and he's going to go grab it and pull it. But then the other one's like, no, you ain't getting it from me. And then he's like, yes, I am getting it from you. And all of a sudden it starts to escalate. And then what happened? Wham! I'll do whatever I have to do to get what I want. And if you could amplify that, adulthood but without the self-control that's exactly how you get somebody pulling a gun out of their desk or out of their glove box driving down the road and shooting somebody because they cut them off the rage results in murder you understand what I'm saying I'm not wrong two little kids (laughs) wanting what they want Amplified, well, if permitted to continue in that self-centered world, given free reign to the impulse actions to satisfy what they want, man, every child would grow into a thief, a criminal, a killer. Everyone would. See, What I'm saying is, that is what is our natural bent. You know, in in religion, religion likes to teach that, you know, we're, and people like to think that mankind is inherently good, right? And we're born into this world with this clean slate, it's white. And as we do bad things, because there are bad things in this world, we get these black marks on our clean slate. And they just sort of rack up. You know, you understand what I'm saying? That's how religion thinks of things or teaches things. That's how the world likes things. I'm I'm a good person. I'm a pretty good person. And yeah, I do some bad things and so on. But and, you know, those are like black marks that I'm not proud of on my clean slate. And and we like to we like to imagine that because it it justifies us. It makes us feel better about ourselves in man in his own righteousness. When in reality, there's no white slate. It's a black slate. And we're not sinners because we do bad things or uh, or we <laughs> no listen, friend, we do bad things because we're sinners. That's what our nature is. We're not born with a good record and sometimes we have a lust for wrong. We're born naturally condemned already before God. You know, like you say, are you a good person? Yeah, I'm a good person. Well, could you commit murder? No, I could never commit murder. That's how we like to think of ourselves. But in reality, given the right circumstance, in the right situation, any single one could do anything. Why? Because there's none that doeth good and will not one. All have sinned. There's no good in any of us. We're wicked beyond belief. 
That is the reality of sin. And our heart deceives us. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that our heart is deceitful above anything else. And it's desperately wicked. And we don't even know how wicked it is. That's the reality of sin. The root of it started in Adam, sure. And one by one man, sin entered into the world. But death came by sin. And death is passed upon all men for that all have sinned. That's you, friends. You are desperately wicked. And you are condemned before God because of your wicked heart. And so was I before Jesus Christ came. Here's something else that we need to look at because we need to look a little further into these verses and we see the results of sin. We see the root of it. We see the reality of it. But notice the results of it. Verse 12 says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and here it is, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now look at verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Notice this. The results of sin can be summed up in one word. Death. Death came upon all men because all have sinned. Death spread abroad everywhere to all mankind. When men are born, they're doomed to die. The gist of what Paul is saying here in these verses is that the reign of sin in this world is proven because of death. It proves that sin is in this world. No matter what somebody wants to say, I've got a nice clean white slate and I do some bad things here and there. No, 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 no. The reality of sin that it's all over in this world and that there's nobody that does good, the reality is proven by this one word, death. Verses 13 and 14 show that. He says there, until the law, sin was still in the world. That's what he's saying. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. In other words, in other words, just, uh, just because there was no law stating exactly what is wrong or what is right doesn't mean that sin wasn't in the world. We might ha not have the knowledge of something that is right and wrong, but the reality of it is still there. The law simply shows us what exactly sin is and what exactly the wrong is. But the reality is death reigned from Adam to Moses before there was ever any law. You understand that? And this is sort of a jab at the Jewish people that Paul is writing to because they would say that sin is breaking God's law. And there wasn't any law before Moses. There wasn't given a law at the time of Adam. So how can sin be imputed or credited against us if there's no law? And Paul says, oh, sin was still present. In fact, it reigned from Adam to Moses before the law. And that's proof. Proof that sin was still there because people died. Genesis chapter 5, we don't need to turn there, but that is the book of the generations of Adam. And what you'll find when you read it is you'll find this 
repetition of the phrase, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. That says it all. It should convince us of the terrible result of sin in the human family. The result of sin is always, always, always death. Look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Look at verse 14. James 1.14, the Bible says here, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The result of sin is summed up in that one horrible word, death. Death is so certain, friend, and you know it is, and I know it is. Death is so certain that there are industries that are built around it. People can build businesses and industries around this very thing because it's guaranteed it's going to happen. And they're going to make money. Think of the funeral industry. Think of the life insurance industry. Why is there such a thing as life insurance? Because people are going to die. And they're going to collect their premiums and they're going to make their money. They exist because people die. Hebrews 9.27, as it is appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. For those of you that are learning the books of the Bible, you'll get there fast. You'll get there before everybody else. We do this in our Sunday school class every week. We cite the books of the Bible. They're getting really good at it. And I notice that there's less rustling of the pages. It's like it's a shorter amount of time. It's like, oh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, there it is. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 8, look at this. There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. There's nobody that has power to retain the spirit. You know what? When the day of death comes, your soul and your spirit, they're out. This body is going to die. And you might even know that your moment of death is coming and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Every single one. Death is so certain. And understand this. The death in the Bible is more than just laying down of this body. Death is coming for every man, but it's more than just the laying down of this body. Physical death is certainly included in that. And the day that Adam ate of that fruit, he didn't physically die that day. Eventually he did. But what he did do was die spiritually. Spiritual death and eternal death. The Bible calls it the second death. That is what should be feared by all men. Eternal separation from God. That's what eternal death is. Death is always a separation in the Bible. You're a body, soul, and a spirit, a three-part being. And the moment that you die physically, this body, this house that the real you lives in, your soul and your spirit, those two are inseparable. Those two are eternal. 
your soul is you, your personality, how you think, what makes you unique. That's you. That's your soul. This body is not you. It's just a house that your soul lives in. It's a house that you live in. Someday, you're going to move out of the house. When you die, you're going to lay this body down and your soul and spirit are going to separate from your body. Death is always separation. But when we're talking about spiritual death and eternal death, that is also separation because that's eternal separation from God from all e- for all eternity. If you die in this life and you leave this body and you're not right with God, your soul and your spirit will be eternally separated from God in the lake of fire. That is what should be feared by all men. Look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. If you don't believe what I'm saying, look at the Bible. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. Paul writes, saying here that in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That is the end or the result, rather, because it doesn't end, we should say. But that's what comes for the one who doesn't know God. Punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, taking vengeance and flaming fire. Eternal punishment in the lake of fire. We can read about it in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20 and verse 14, and I'll just read it to you. Uh, unless you can get there and follow along. Revelation 20 and verse 14, the Bible says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is final separation from God in torment for all eternity. And what I'm saying is, and what the Bible teaches us, is that this is the ultimate doom of every person who is not saved by the grace of God because of sin. Death is passed upon all men. Separation from God for all eternity because of all have sinned. Let me just say this with all sincerity this morning. Each person in this room is accountable to this truth. Some here are born again, some are saved, and some are lost. Some of you are not saved. Every lost person here this morning, you need to understand that you are spiritually dead. You're already separated from God. Condemnation is already there. It's already abiding on you. It's just waiting. But God, in his mercy and his grace, is trying to draw you to himself. God is giving you an opportunity to respond to his grace. But the truth of the matter is, and one thing that you need to understand, whether you're 70 years old or seven years old, everybody needs to understand 
that one day you are going to die. I could eat today. And you're going to go out into eternity. And there's no coming back. And if you're not saved, if you're not born again, if your sins are not under the blood, if you have not repented of your sin in a humble heart, saying, God, I know I deserve your judgment and wrath on my sin. I understand what I am. But I'm wicked and I'm guilty and I'm sinful. But I need your mercy and I need your grace. And I need you to wash away my sin so that I can be reconciled to you. If you haven't done that, you're condemned already. And the wrath of God abides on you. And you will go out into eternity forever separated from God. You'll experience the second death. And there's no coming back. And I'm saying this with all sincerity to you this morning. It's not about adding Jesus into your life. It's not about being religious. It's not about, oh, we're going to go to church now. And we're going to, you know, we're, this is what, no, it's not about that. It's about God trying to give you a new life. Because he's merciful and gracious. And you're a sinner who's in the hands of a loving God. Amen. When you were yet an enemy of God, Christ died for you to reconcile you to himself. What you need to do is admit what you are. You need to see it. I would also say this this morning, if you're saved and you know the Lord, rejoice. Amen? You've already passed from death unto life. Amen. And the wrath of God does not abide on you. Praise the Lord for that. We see the roots of sin, that it's an atom, that it's everywhere in this world. We see the, the reality that you and I are sinners. We see the results of sin, that death comes about. But lastly, I want you to see the remedy for sin. Look at verse 14. Go back to our text in Romans 5 and look at verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. The figure of him that was to come. I'm just going to touch briefly on this uh, because we have to read into the rest of the text to really start to see this unfold, that either we're in Adam or we're in Christ. And if we're in Adam, we're condemned. If we're in Christ, we're reconciled to God. But Paul ends verse 14 with a transition statement. And he tells us that Adam is the figure of him that was to come. He's telling us that the first Adam was a type and a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ also is a figurehead. However... The similarities, they don't actually run that deep. Notice the next statement that Paul makes in verse 15. But not as the offense, 
so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And his, what he's saying is that there's a similarity here between Adam and Jesus Christ, but they're not the same thing. The gift is not like the transgression in this sense. The transgression passed upon everybody and all have sinned and all will die. But the gift is so much greater than the transgression and it still came about by one, one man, Jesus Christ. The first Adam failed, but Jesus Christ prevailed. What Adam, as a figurehead, brought humanity was death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But what Jesus Christ as a figurehead brings is a gift. Look at verse 15 again. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, that's Adam and his transgression and all men are dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, that's Jesus, Jesus Christ has abounded unto many, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Five times in these verses, Paul uses the term gift. Notice what they teach us about what Jesus gave humanity. In verse 15, we find that it's a gift of grace. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. What is grace? Unmerited favor. Unearned favor. You talk about a gift. Amen? You didn't do anything to deserve it or earn it. It's the gift of grace. In verse 16, he talks about the gift of justification. What does it mean to be justified? To be declared righteous by God. It's a, it's a legal term. And God in his court, because of Jesus Christ, looks at you and declares you to be righteous, to be justified, just as if you've never sinned. That's a gift. In verse 17, it's the gift of righteousness. You don't have any righteousness of your own. All have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. But when we're saved, we're robed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What a gift. It's the gift of eternal life. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What then is the remedy for sin? It's simple. The remedy for sin is receiving God's gift of, uh, uh, through faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done. That's the remedy for sin. It's so simple. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. 
There's nothing good about you, but God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. All you need to do is recognize what you are. All you need to do is repent of that sin, change your mind about your life and who you are, and turn to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who gave his blood to pay the debt you could never pay. See, God loves sinful people. He loves those in this sin-cursed world so much that he sent his son to die in your place because you deserve death. The wages of your sin, what you earn, is death. And all God says we need to do is receive. Receive that gift the finished work of Jesus Christ on my behalf through faith in his blood. Through faith in his blood. That's how you get the gift of salvation. It's a gift that no one can afford not to receive. This whole message centers, centers around one great question question is this are you an Adam still lost in your sin or are you in Jesus Christ have you received God's gift of salvation as your own and if you haven't you are still dead in your sins you are destined to experience the second death and my friend that could be a lot closer than you think If you're not saved this morning, I urge you, respond to Jesus Christ while you can. Be saved today. If you reject the gift of God, you will spend eternity in the lake of fire. And you can't blame Adam for that. You can't blame God for that. You can't blame Jesus Christ for that. You can't blame the church for that. You can't blame the preacher. You'll only blame yourself. The free gift of salvation through grace is available to you right now if you reach out and take it by faith. Your eternal destiny depends on what you do with God's gift to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would draw all men to the Lord Jesus Christ. And those that are not saved this morning, may they feel the weight and the conviction from the Spirit of God over their sin and their guilt. Lord, may they respond in faith.